Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Got a special show for you today. A little surprise. We've got Shotgun Spratling. He's kind of our jack of all trades on uscfootball.com. We're going to talk some USC fall camp, uh, maybe a little basketball. So lots to get to today on the show. you got a lot of questions you've sent to us. We do love to hear from you. So your questions you can send uh, via email to podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com or you can call or text our number is 424-254-9141 that's 424-254-9141 send us a text or leave us a voicemail we'd be happy to play it on the air uh, if you want to subscribe to the show uh, we're on itunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast is our dedicated url on itunes but we're on also all the different platforms google play and stitcher radio and tune in radio uh, audio boom just search for Peristyle Podcast, and you should be able to find us. If you can't, let us know. Let me know. Drop me an email, and I'll make sure we get listed on your favorite podcasting app or platform. Okay, well, let's bring in Shotgun. He's on our Skype hotline, who's not sponsored yet. Maybe we should get our hotline sponsored, uh, Shotgun. What is up, man? How are you doing? Doing great. You know, just getting ready for the weekend. Uh, you know, it's last scrimmage of fall camp, uh, you know, before they go into their mock game week. So it should be really fun. On Saturday, got a couple light practices today and tomorrow, and, and then you know get back to some hitting and uh, you know potentially solidifying some positions out there. Yeah, we're getting close to that. So you know, days away from the depth chart, days away, I guess, from the end of what Clay Helton is calling fall camp. My wife Jan asked me like, "Well, there's still practices before the first game, right?" <laughs> like, yeah, but just that's not considered camp anymore. I guess at that point, shotgun, there'll be. Uh, You'll see a lot more black jerseys out there, scout team, service team stuff. We're actually preparing for the next game. Yeah, and I think I think the the differentiation for them is that hey, the players move out of the on-campus dorms and they're back in their normal setting. You start classes, everything else. So it's not just everything. Every day is focused on football like it has been for the last couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. So you got regular lives. It was move-in day yesterday. So a little crazy uh, on campus. And uh, I'm curious to see what practice will be like today now that students are there. You kind of have a little – it's a nice little luxury when you're just – there's just like the summer folks around uh, campus. And now – at least some of the construction is is kind of finishing up. We couldn't even walk to the practice field <laughs> in our normal direct route. We can at least do that now. But, yeah, there's it's going to be more traffic on campus. Yeah, and, and you know, the you, you see the students. You had the band out of practice yesterday. You know, they've been practicing a little bit on campus, but it's been kind of, you know, uh, broken up into different uh, sections of the band, whereas yesterday you had the whole band come out. Uh, so that was, you know, a nice treat for the players. And then they got a really good treat at the end uh, after Michael Brown made, I think, a 35-yard field goal uh, with pressure on at the, the very end. And, you know, if he made it, Clay Helton said, hey, no meetings tonight. You'll get a free night. You'll get the, the night free. So, I'm curious to see what some of the players did with their free night last night. <laughs> you don't want any like suspensions being announced today or something. <laughs> that guys went out and uh, no, probably no Josh Shaw situations. Hopefully, <laughs> oh geez, yeah, that's uh, great memories there. Shotgun, way to bring that up, <laughs> bring everybody down. Um, it's funny. The last podcast I saw, I kind of thought about it at the very end. I brought up, hey, if you're a USC student, you know, incoming freshman, or you know, you're listening to the podcast and you want to help us out. Uh, drop me an email, Ryan at uscfootball.com. I put it at the very end of the podcast. I'm trying to think, I don't know how many 20 year olds making it all the way through, like, you know, our hour long podcast with Dan Weber or something. So I'm going to say this at the beginning. So we're going to do, uh, some, basically some uscfootball.com marketing and we'll hook you up with some cool stuff and, uh, pay you a little cash if you want to help us out if you're on campus. So just drop me an email, Ryan at uscfootball.com. Who knows what it'll lead to, but yeah, we, we need a little bit of help with that. So if you're, you know, you're moving in. You want to do some stuff before classes start? Uh, give me a buzz and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat about some stuff. What, what do you think about the millennials today, shotgun? They, they're hard workers, lazy, just some watching of them their phones. Are. I mean, what are they it's doing? the same as any, any generation. You're going to have your hard workers. You're going to have the people who, who are not very interested in doing anything. I mean, it's <laughs> the same as it's been wet back to the Romans and beyond and beyond. Uh, it's just human nature. Some people work hard. Some people don't. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you there. 
Okay, so I think we're going to start off with a little hoops since that's, you know, that's shotgun specialty. And we did have a question uh, that was sent in. Um, and, uh, you know, we were talking about this uh, Marvin Bagley situation. So he, so the question was, since we're now a football and basketball school, here's a basketball question. Can someone please explain how Marvin Bagley can, quote, unquote, reclassify and magically graduate high school a year early? Has anyone of note ever done this before? Yes, there's been, been a number of players that have done it. Uh, the first player that I can remember that, you know, was a big time player, was potentially the number one player in his own class that reclassified was Andre Drummond, actually, who went to UConn. Uh, I think it was 2011, 2012. Uh, he did that and then, you know, he was potentially going to be the number one pick in his, his year. And then he was like, I think the ninth pick overall, uh, when he actually came out the, the following season. But then you still had, after him, you had Andrew, uh, Andrew Wiggins, you had Carl Anthony Towns. So some notable names have done this. Um, along with Marvin Bagley, who is the number one player, was the number one player in the 2018 class, now in 2017. Uh, RJ Barrett, uh, from Canada is the number one player now in the 2018 class. He was in the 2019 class previously. So it's becoming a, a thing more common. And the reason why players do it is because of the NBA's one and done rule. Uh, because of that, they want to, they have to go to college for a year. They have to be out of high school for a year overseas, whatever it is. So they move up and therefore they are able to go to the NBA draft a season earlier. Now for someone like Bagley, he was going to be 20 years old, I believe this year. He's he's a little bit older than his classmates. So it made a lot of sense for him to move up. Uh, and it all comes with, you know, getting your classwork done, um, and, and being able to qualify with the NCAA and everything else. Uh, you see a lot of uh, football players, you know, that were are early enrollees and they come in January. Well, this is, you know, you have to do a little bit of extra work during the summer and stuff to make sure that you can, you can finish two semesters early and reclassify a grade. But it's something just that mostly is basketball players right now. Uh, well, I don't know that we've seen any notable football players do it, but it is something that, that has become a trend, but it's mostly just because of the one and done rule. We've seen, uh, John David Booty. He did that, uh, coming to you. Okay. USC. That's right. Yeah, so that was something that happened. And there was talk about JT Daniels, the five-star quarterback from modern day. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, now, see, someone like JT Daniels would be a, a good potential person to do that because he's a little bit older than his classmates already. So it's not like he's going to be, it's not like he's going to be Juju getting in and being 17 years old and younger than everybody else on the team. Uh, or Joseph Lewis. Both those guys are really young for their, their grades. Um, you, you see more in football where players are held back, uh, so that they can have the, you know, the physical advantages because the NFL doesn't look at you as, oh, he's, you know, he's 23 versus he's 24, he's 23 versus 21. Uh, they don't look at that as much. Whereas basketball, um, you have big development years there, but you want to get to the NBA so that you can try to get to that, se- that second contract and then start making more money. Yeah. So, uh, we'll see what happens there, but there, there's so many, Students, because, you know, the way this happens is like you're talking about. I mean, there's, you're getting like red shirts happening in like fifth grade or younger and people are held back, you know? And so it is a, like when you talk about Juju, who played most of his freshman year as a 17 year old, you know? And, you know, JT Daniels, I think is already like, so he's only a junior in high school. So there's different, um, yeah, there's different. <laughs> different strokes, but like someone like that could do it. We saw John David Booty, uh, do it as well. Um, but yeah. So what, what overall though, what did you think of the, the Bagley situation? What have you kind of heard? Was USC really in it? I mean, it seems like kind of a crazy story. It was on Sports Center. You're watching Little League World Series stuff from a year ago <laughs> instead of like what's going on. It was a little nuts. Yeah. It was really annoying that, that ESPN because, uh, the Yankees Mets game ran like 15 minutes late. They decided to show in entirety this little League World Series documentary that no one cared about, besides the people that have been watching that Yankees Mets game because I think it was a team in New England or maybe even New York itself. Um, so everyone's like, "What is this? What? When am I going to get to see back? What's going on here?" And especially if you're on the East Coast, you're a Duke fan waiting up for this. And uh, my girlfriend's brother actually went to Duke, so he's watching. It. He's like, "When am I get to go to bed here? This is crazy." Because it's 11:30 there, so for your people that are waking up early to go to work, you know it's, they're they're having, trying to stay up for this, um, and it gets pushed back and pushed back, and they tease it to keep you watching Sports Center. And I think you tweeted like, "This is the first time I've really watched Sports Center, and I don't know how long." Yeah. Um, so you know it was interesting, uh, but on USC side, you know I heard there was some there was a positive vibe after the official visit that they got. Uh, 
I talked with Marvin's dad. He really appreciated the way the coaches, you know, maybe even a little bit different than Duke, that the coaches, you know, put the players first. It wasn't about the coaching staff. It was about the players. Um, so he really appreciated that. And, and uh, Marvin himself seemed to like it. He called it a great visit. Uh, he said he enjoyed his time. Um, didn't get a really deep interview, uh, obviously, but, uh, you know, I'd heard some good things on, on USC side. They thought they had a chance for sure. And, you know, they were all watching the, the, uh, the coaching staff and the people in the, in the program were all watching the, the announcement themselves, you know, halfway through the day. Uh, and, you know, as late as I talked to sources on USC side, no one actually knew where he was going. I don't know. I don't know if Duke's side, they actually did, if he had told them at all, but he had not told any of the USC, uh, coaching staff you know, or people in the program, uh, one way or another where he was going. So it was interesting to see that, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were sitting on pins and needles hoping that he would, uh, you know, reclassify and join the Trojans rather than Duke, you know, but it, it just says so much about what Andy Enfield, Tony Bland, Jason Hart, that whole crew has done in this four or five year span to now that the number one player in at least half a decade, the best player, at least since Andrew Wiggins and probably back to Anthony Davis. Um, is considering USC as one of the schools along with Duke and UCLA, two blue blood programs that have been good for, you know, 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, whereas USC's on the uprise and, you know, they should have a really good season this year. They've got a lot of, a lot of potential there. Uh, oh, speaking of reclassification, D- uh, Derek Thornton, the player that, uh, transferred from Duke, um, the point guard that will be eligible this year, he's another guy that reclassified as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a common theme with high-end players, five-star guys, you'll see you know, a couple every year. Um, but this USC team will have one, just not the Marvin Bagley one. They'll have Derek <laughs> Thornton playing this year and, and should be interesting. Um, as one of the coaches uh, alluded to me, uh, before they knew all the players were going to come back this offseason was, if everyone comes back, which they did, it's going to be like an NBA training camp. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin has been the leader, the point guard for three years, but he's not guaranteed a spot because Derek Thornton can come in there, and if he shows that he's a better point guard, then he might start over him. Maybe they'll start both of them. You know, you never know. But you got to find. You're gonna have to try to find minutes for people, and you're gonna have to fight for those minutes for everyone on the team. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a fun season, I think. And you know, if they can keep the egos in check, which is always difficult with with uh, basketball players, um, that that when you have a lot of talented basketball players like they do, then I think this could be a special season. I think I, I think it was Chimethi Metu that tweeted out something like, "Hey, more playing time for me," or something like that. Or one of the guys did like, when uh, Bagley picked Duke. Yeah, apparently Chimethi said that, and Elijah Stewart w- was with him, so he decided to tweet it out on Chimethi's ben- uh, benefit there. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's kind of like I, th- I think that kind of shows that no one really knew what the answer was with Bagley, where he was going to go. So you know, everyone was on pins and needles waiting to see what it was. And even the players at USC didn't really know. All right, uh, man. We talked like seven minutes of basketball. That's just way too much, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we, it's funny when, you know, there's a lot of USC fans that are kind of tune out sometimes with basketball, but we, there's, I think there's a growing group of fans that are, are into it. So we'll get, we'll get tweets or whatever, like, make sure you let Shotgun talk about basketball. Cause, uh, like after that, <laughs> well, I'm was glad over, someone I, is paying attention. I've been covering the team for, I think six or seven years now. And, you know, some of those games were pretty rough when you scored 29 points, whatever it was, against Cal Poly in the <laughs> Kevin O'Neill days. Ugh, yeah, that was bad. Um, but you know, brighter times ahead for the USC basketball team. So we'll see how Andy Edfield and company do. Uh, let's get back to some football talk. We got so kind of a, a random hodgepodge of questions. They're all over the place. So we'll just no particular order. We'll start with Earl in West LA. He said, College Spun released a computer model of a projected score of the USC versus Western Michigan game. I don't even know what College Spun is, but we'll go with that. Uh, they had USC winning by a score of 44.8. That's really hard to get to 0.8, by the way. Uh, to 32.6. Normally, I don't pay attention to this stuff, but what does this computer know that I can't see? No way does Western Michigan score four-plus touchdowns against the Trojan defense. What are your thoughts? Earl in West LA. You know, it, it just depends on what kind of formulas are used. And obviously they have to be using some kind to come up with, uh, you know, some averages and some formulas that get a 44.8 and a 32.6. Uh, probably they were looking, I, I would guess that their formula, I would have to see it to, to really know, but I would guess that their formula factors in heavily previous seasons. So the last couple of seasons where Western Michigan has been really good under PJ Fleck. Uh, their offense was really good last year. You know, they had Corey Davis, who was a, 
you know, a top 10 pick of uh, the Titans. And then they later grabbed Adoree Jackson, who now he's facing off against each other. Um, so, you know, they had some offensive weapons last year. I don't think they'll have the same weapons this year. And they lost a couple transfers that, that left to go to Minnesota with flex. So uh, I don't think this is the same Western Michigan team as last year, but you can't underestimate a team that, that was undefeated going into their bowl game last year and gave, I think it was Wisconsin that they played, uh, gave them a run for their money or whoever they played in the bowl game, you know, gave them an actual, uh, a good shot in that game and had a chance to win, you know, in the fourth quarter. So you can't underestimate Western Michigan, but I think that's really relying heavily on what they've done in previous seasons rather than looking at this team individually. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, it's, uh, I think they're going to be focused. I think it's going to be a team that's going to run the football more. And I think they could have some success against USC's first game. You're not really sure what to expect, but I don't think it's going to be a explosive sort of offense. It would be more of a controlling the ball, controlling the clock, making it kind of a, you know, down in the mud sort of game. Um, I wouldn't see that kind of a score. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, I don't even know what college fun is. Do you know what that is? Or is that? It's a, it's another site, kind of like college sports madness. And, you know, uh, you know, even the bleacher report at one point, you know, a lot of, you know, up and coming type of, of site. And if, uh, you got to give a little credit to College Sponge just because if you gave credit to collegesportsmadness.com's All-American team that uh, had Zach Benner on it and uh, or uh, Chad Wheeler, whichever one was on that one that USC put on the All-American wall. So if they put that up, then you got to at least uh, notice or note College Sponge as well as College Sports Madness. Fair point. Um, yeah, I I don't want to get you know I like the people that we're talking about, but there's sometimes you're like that is that really an All-American team? Uh, Maybe not, but whatever. Okay. We don't want to go down that rat hole. Let's move on. <laughs> um, he said first, so he says, hi, my name is Tony G, but you can call me T-Dog. So T-Dog, ooh, he could already be like the coolest guy to ever write in the podcast in our 10 years, maybe. Uh, but he said, so last year I asked if USC was ready for Alabama, and I'm assuming that you or Dan did not want to answer that question during a live stream last year after a practice. So, so I, I try to keep it 100 with my questions. Um, do you want to translate that for us non-cool uh, people? He tries to keep it real. He tries to, to you know, he doesn't uh, mince words with his questions. Gotcha. And, uh, you no, know, it, it, usually during those live streams when we do them, their questions are flying by. So it's a lot of, we don't, like, choose to not answer them. It's just, you know, we're, we're answering as we see them. And, and if we missed it, we missed it. So I do apologize for that. It was certainly what, nothing that we would have tried to avoid. But he said, so my question is similar to last year's question. Uh, is USC ready? Uh, not that they'll win both games, but to play highly competitive games against both Stanford and Texas back to back. If so, or even not, please give us some insight and let us know how potentially you and your guests see each of these games play out. Uh, also, you guys do an awesome job in your work. I really enjoy listening. I constantly look at scout websites for an update. You guys have me hooked. And I may need to seek uh, an addictions group to deal with your podcast and postings. Okay, you lost this cool factor there. Uh, as an alumni of USC, I wish I could tailgate with you guys because you seem that awesomeness and uh, you seem that awesome and down to earth. My nose is very brown right now, but for reals, uh, great work. Uh, thanks, T Dog. That's very nice stuff there. You're still cool in my book, you know, but. Uh, looking at, at T Dog's question, I mean, I could have told you last year, just there was something about, especially the last week of practice leading up to Alabama. It was like they were like the players were goofing off, they just went serious. I'm like, what are they doing? Do they know who they're playing in this first game? Like, you're not playing Arkansas State anymore. You're not playing Idaho in the first game. And like, there was just like there were lackadaisical errors and stuff. And I thought that you know there was a good chance they were going to get whooped. I didn't think it would be 52 to six whooped, but they, you know, it, which it turned out to be. But I, I thought that they just did not seem like they were really focused in. This team, on the other hand, completely different. Maybe it was the nine-game winning streak, whatever it was. You know, this team is really competitive. Um, I've seen, you know, the practices have gone back and forth. There are definitely concerns. You know, I, it's hard to say how a team's going to perform until you see them against another team. Um, but because we've seen the defense dominate, absolutely dominant on Saturday against the offense. Six straight, three and outs. Uh, the offense got one first down and then eventually got a touchdown on a red zone drive. And then they got stopped in their, on their eighth drive too. Just an absolutely dominant performance. However, we also saw the first scrimmage 
where the offense, you know, just carved up the defense. So we've seen both sides. And, and you know, that's probably good. I, I talked to Tyson Helton uh, the other day. He said, you know, that's really good for Sam, actually, to get both of those practices. You want to see him have that success and say, all right, this is what we're doing really well. This is what we like. And then for him to have some struggles, and, and Sam actually got a little frustrated. First time we've really seen him show some emotion. You know, everyone talks about how cool he was after that Penn State touchdown to Deontay Burnett. You know, he actually came out pulling his chin strap off and came over to the sideline and, you know, was kind of uh, talking pretty aggressively with Tyson Helton. You know, they were just talking, and Tyson said they were just talking about the normal stuff they would talk about, about what to read. But, you know, this, you could see that there was a little emotion behind it with Sam because he's kind of frustrated about st- struggling on Saturday. But, you know, uh, Tyson said that's good. I want him to have both of those practices. That's something he can learn from in both regards. And, uh, you know, that's why it's hard to say how they're going to perform in particular. But I will say that they are much more focused and at least so far in training camp. And, you know, with still two weeks left and maybe they slack off like they did last year. But so far, you know, it, it's a much different atmosphere in my opinion. And uh, one thing that Gerard has talked about when he comes out to practice is, you just don't like it different than the Kiffin Sark years. You don't see the ball hit the ground a lot. You know, the, the offense, when they, when they make passes, you know, it's getting caught. It's not like there's not three incompletions in a row ever. Um, so the offense seems to be having, uh, some success with that. If they can block up front, which we're, we still have to be seeing because you never know when the offense line until they're uh, really tested. You know, are they going to make the calls? Are they going to make the switches? That type of thing. You know, you can block anybody one on one and be dominant in that. But then when somebody runs a stunt, if you can't communicate with a guy beside you and say, I got this guy, then both guys run right by and it doesn't matter at all. So uh, I'm interested to see how that group does and, uh, you know, see how the rotation of the defensive linemen go. I think the, in the trenches is the biggest question, but I do think that, that the, uh, the atmosphere is much better so far this season. Yeah, I agree with you, Shotgun. Uh, T-Dog, thanks again, uh, for sending that in. It was, you know, it's, it's different and, you know, people want to compare, like, to me, like the expectations are different and that changes a team's mindset, players' mindsets. We're not seeing a lot of the kind of, um, foreboding signs, I guess you could say we saw in 2012. I'm not saying USC couldn't, you know, collapse, lose some games they shouldn't lose, things like that. Certainly that's possible, but I don't think it's going to be for the same sort of reasons that we saw back in 2012. Uh, it just seems like this team is better prepared. You can't tell. Until you're out there, you know, and, uh, you know, do they look bad against Western Michigan and start getting better? I mean, they, they struggled the beginning of last year. I think the defense should be there. You know, it took the defense a while to kind of get rolling, uh, last year. It shouldn't be the case this year. Um, will it take the offense a little bit of time to get rolling like it did last year? More potential, you know, cause of the turnover on the offensive line and, and all of that. But, you know, Sam Darnold can be that big eraser back there. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But to me, that's, you know, Stanford, Texas, that's, they got to go three and zero. They're going to be favored in all those games. You got to start three and zero. You want to be a, a title contender. You want to you win the Pac twelve. You got to get over the Stanford hump, and you got to beat a young but really talented and well coached Texas team. If you can't do that, it's it's hard for me, shotgun, to picture this team really being. People ask, is this team back? If they're back, they're going to start three and zero. Yeah, I think so, and I think that they'll maybe pull away in that Stanford game, that would tell me a lot. If they could do that, that's something they haven't been able to do. All the Stanford games with USC in the last, I feel like, decade have been really close, except for, I mean, maybe all the way back to Harbaugh, you know, going for two points. You know, since then, it seems like everything's pretty close games. Um, You know, if they could pull away in that game, I think that would tell you a lot about this team. Now, if they don't, they'd win. You know, that's fine, too. Or even if they lose a close game, I still think they could – walk their way back up maybe in the polls if, to get to a national title would be difficult. But but uh, I, I think that game will tell you a lot about this team. Western Michigan will tell you a little bit. Stanford will tell you a lot. And T-Dog, don't feel bad about being addicted. That's fine. It's it's, it's weird. When we go out in the you know the, the world and meet people that are our subscribers, if you're picturing like, you know, the computer nerd that never leaves his house, like, yeah, there's some of those, but there's doctors and lawyers and like people in bands and all kinds of stuff like you know rock band you're like people that you look at those like long hair and tattoos and stuff you're like <laughs> you're like on our message board all the time <laughs> like yeah you don't it's it's very strange like some of the i mean it's not strange it's a good thing but like it's a it's a cross-section of like society there's just people that are diehards into this and uh it doesn't doesn't necessarily put them in one category of uh whatever you know of being what kind of person they are or whatever everyone loves their usc football yeah 
Uh, and we do appreciate all you guys. So thanks. Thanks for that. Um, Reggie in Seattle wrote in. He said, yeah, the question on Tyler Petit. Uh, I may be wrong, but it appears as if he sat out several practices in the past and present due to concussion protocol. This appears to be a recurring issue and concern for him. Do you know how many times Petit has been in concussion protocol and what exactly is concussion protocol? Does it imply that an athlete has symptoms related to a concussion? Fight on. Reggie in Seattle. That is exactly what it implies. It implies that there are symptoms and they will never say, hey, this player has a concussion because you can't, I, you can't, uh, for sure identify a concussion without, you know, looking at the brain, I think, or and maybe a CT scan will tell you that there's some swelling or what it is. But, you know, they, they look at it and this player is, uh, you know, is, is showing those symptoms and we don't want to take any chances. That's basically what it is. Concussion protocol is we're going to sit you out. Until you can get back on the same where you have your memory, you know, you have your, you know, your functions, everything is back to the baseline that you, and they take baseline tests before each season to, to see where players are at. And then they'll test them in games if they think that there's a head injury or anything like that. There's just been so much more, uh, caution with head injuries now. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate when a player does get a head injury, like Tyler Petit has had a couple of, as, as a couple times been in concussion protocol. Um, so you always worry about that becoming a uh, becoming a recurring thing and maybe even a career-ending thing uh, with someone like John Plattenberg. That's part of the reason why he chose to to give up on football is because he had come back from a couple of concussions and uh, he kind of considered giving up football last fall when he had uh, you know a concussion on a big hit during a uh, fall camp scrimmage, and then he came back and practiced with the team and got back in the game a little bit. And then apparently he had one uh, the week of the Rose Bowl or during the Rose Bowl game, and that's when he was kind of like, "I'm going to consider my health more than you know more than enjoying to be on the football team and being on the football uh, field is that my future health is more important." And he made that decision. Uh, so hopefully that's not something that that comes to comes to pass with Tyler Petit. You never want to see anyone injured, especially with head injuries. But that is exactly the type of thing that that it has gone on with him, and and that's why players you know go into concussion protocol. And it's sort of this catch-all. You don't really know what you know what degree of a concussion. If you see the guy mm-hmm. walking around like wearing a visor that covers your face, you know, like a sun visor, like uh, what Donald Sterling's like girlfriend wore or whatever, and that all that scandal thing, like something like that, where they're like can't even be like seen in the sun. That's probably more serious than you know. We've seen Tyler Petit out there. I'm I'm guessing it's more precautionary. It doesn't seem like it's uh, all that serious. Of course, any you know injury to your brain is is you know, serious by definition, but it doesn't seem like this is going to be something that would keep him out. Just our sense of it. They don't, they don't really give us a lot of information on that, but you can kind of see sometimes like, Oh, that doesn't look very good or okay. That's yeah. probably not too bad. And, and you're going to be really cautious, especially at this point in the season. Like you don't want to have, you know, especially with the brain, you want to have any lingering, you know, effects. You want to make sure that everyone's healed up and back to their baseline test and, you know, are able to function completely uh, the way they were before they had an injury. Um, and then you get them back out on the field and get them caught back up. Uh, Reggie had one more question about the defense. He said, I've noticed the running back uh, coming out of the backfield, getting open and scoring often. Going back to last season's defense, this appears to be a recurring issue where the man responsible for the running backs coming out of the backfield loses them in coverage, and then they end up wide open. Have you noticed this weakness? And if so, do you see the defense working on this during practice this year? Fight on uh, Reggie in Seattle again. I don't know that I've seen this too much. I mean, a, a couple times last year, you know, a lot of the times when, when you have a defense like Clancy's, which is very aggressive and you blitz, one of the guys you leave is the guy coming out of the backfield because some of the times he's blocking, some of the times you're just trying to get the quarterback before he can, you know, the back can flare out and the quarterback can hit him. Um, and, you know, if quarterback is very good, then he will, you know, uh, sense the blitz, see the blitz, and know that he has that option. Um, to his to his outside and, and toss it to the running back. I don't think it's something that like you know we've seen Rojo catch you know one nice wheel route catch on the outside, but occasionally you'll see flares and stuff, and, and you'll see um, stuff where running backs will be in the flats and that will be open against USC's defense a little bit because sometimes they're in cover three or they're in cover two, and you know you don't have anybody um, up a, at the line of scrimmage there to to guard against that, and you try to take. You know, you take away the deeper balls, the deeper passes, you give up the, the short uh, um, throws and then try to come up and tackle. 
Uh, maybe that's where you're seeing that more, but I don't think it's it's something that is a you know a big issue and something that they're worried about going into the season at all. Yeah, I haven't seen it be like a systematic problem, like it's never taken care of. But it's you know like like Shotgun said, there's more there's an aggressiveness there that you know sometimes it can be a blown assignment, sometimes it's just you're kind of taking a chance where you feel you can get to the quarterback, you can you can disrupt the play before they're able to swing it out to the running back or make it hard for that play to develop. And then sometimes it does. And, you know, people make good plays. I, yeah, I just don't see it as being like the systematic thing. Every defense yeah. you call will be better against certain formations and certain type of plays than, than others. So you're always, it's always this, you know, kind of give and take sort of thing. I just don't see it's like Clancy Pettigrew's defense never cover the running backs. I just don't think that's the case. <laughs> now, when the running back is Christian McCaffrey and he splits out, you probably should guard him though in that Stanford game. I mean, that blown coverage is is one you look back on and just completely scratch your head. But that's what's hap- that it's one of the things that happens when you have a defense the first year, and that's one of the things we haven't really seen much. You know, there's been, I want to say off the top of my head, maybe three or four blown coverages in what 15 practices so far um, from the defensive secondary. You know, you just don't see it very often anymore. It, and usually, you know, the the offense may try to come back to that play, and it's just not there the second time. Uh, the defense is has been much better communicating and, uh, you know, figuring out their assignments and everything pre-snap this season than they were, especially at the beginning of last season. Yeah, that that was a combination of being early, and it's also Christian McCaffrey. And you can't, you know, he he torched Justin Wilcox's defenses too. We heard him screaming in the press box, you know, at the <laughs> Pac-12 championship game, like because their, their room was right next to ours. You could just hear him screaming about, you know, every yard that McCaffrey got, and we got like 300 of them. So we heard a lot of Justin Wilcox that day, who's now the head coach of Cal. Which should be interesting this year. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go Paul in Vegas. Uh, do we have a lot of video cameras at practice taping the different activities so coaches can review the previous practice during the next morning? Yes, they have plenty of, uh, of cameras. They have the cameras up on the uh, on the lift, the sister lifts. They have... They have, uh, I believe they have new social media, uh, people in the department, the social media department this year because they're filming a lot more stuff, oh, yeah, a lots. lot more tweets and stuff. And, uh, I know Keely <laughs> sent me a text last night, or uh, very upset about how, you know, they were filming certain plays and we're not allowed to anymore. Um, you know, one of the catches that someone made in a practice and, and, uh, you know, that the, the coaches can see it from different angles. You know, a lot of that stuff on the field is more for the social media and different things like that. Whereas it, it, the main thing the coaches want to see is that eye in the sky. They want to be able to see everything. You know, occasionally they want to see uh, a specific thing in a drill or something. Um, but but they have, you know, whatever angle they want, they can get. And, Paul, just to clarify, you said uh, they can review the next morning. No, they're reviewing it like right after practice. So they're dropping, you see them dropping like, uh, backpacks, which I think have like the, uh, the cards in them, whatever. I mean, so there's, as the footage is being shot, like the period's over, someone's taking footage back and editing it and, uh, getting it ready. So they're, they're looking at this stuff, uh, you know, almost in real time, like after practice, they have stuff ready to look at. So it's not like, they check it out the next morning. This is something that's, you know, dynamically, there's people scrambling all over the place getting this stuff ready. Yeah. The players have, uh, you know, the play, the meeting that they got off last night. Usually they'll have meetings. At, I'm not sure how late it is, but they'll, you know, have a break. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's two hours after practice ends to get cleaned up and get some food and everything. And then they go into meetings during that time where the players are getting cleaned up and stuff. The coaches watch the film and then they go into the meetings and the coaches point out stuff on the film. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, you know, quick turnaround on that type of stuff rather than going in the morning. But of course the coaches are watching it again in the morning. Um, I, I believe, uh, it was Kenny Bigelow talking about Konechi Daisy. He's like, you can go up there anytime you want. He's always watching film. Always. <laughs> anytime you want to, like, if you want to talk live, you can come up and talk live. But if you want to watch film, he's there. He's there. You can watch film anytime you want. Nice. Um, Let's go Charles in Torrance. Uh, he had a question, South Bay guy. Hey, Ryan. Well, actually, it's not a question. He says, it's not a question, more of a concern. I was at the USC practice on Thursday, so I think this was a couple weeks ago, and saw Keely Ross's two interceptions. Uh, the defense was looking good, but the concern I have are the backup quarterbacks. They looked horrible. Uh, we are in deep trouble if Sam goes down. Um and when Sam leaves after the season, we really do not have a quarterback until JT comes in in 2019. Sears doesn't have the vision and looks like, looks at one receiver 
uh, for too long before he runs, and Fink wasn't accurate. They need extra work. Charles and Torrance, he's not very happy, uh, Shaka. I would agree with Charles from Torrance's assessment, especially at the very beginning of fall camp of uh, Jack Sears. He locks on a target, and he likes to stay on that target. You know, he's a freshman. That's what freshmen do. Yeah. In, in high school, you have usually, uh, unless you're in a complicated offense, unless you're at modern day, uh, with JT Daniels, what he's running right now is not the same. But most high school quarterbacks, is you have one read, you look at this safety or you look at this person, and then you choose between two spots. That's, that's a lot of times what happens. Um, or sometimes it's, hey, we got a big receiver, we got a you know a five star guy, throw it up to him. I don't care how many people are there. And if you got somebody like I remember watching Darius Rogers against uh, Modern Day and just put on an absolute show, and he just went up over like two guys in the corner. They didn't care. Carson. Uh, I think it was Carson he was playing for. Uh, for forgive me if it's wrong, but they didn't care. They're like, we're throwing it to Darius Rogers because we know Darius Rogers is going to catch the ball, and he's the only guy we got. So <laughs> they throw it up in the corner, and you know he go get it. Um, so high school football is a lot different. Now uh, Sears, especially since he came in in the spring, you know he's got an opportunity. That's something he's got to work on, obviously. Um, but I, I think he's got some tools there that he can be successful in the future. Matt Fink, I think you're seeing that he's gone from what Sears is at right now to actually being able to, to make those different moves. Um, but the, the difference with him is, it, and sometimes the ball doesn't come out of his hand clean. He's got to work on that. He's got to be able to get more consistent with his throws. Uh, sometimes it's a little high. Sometimes he gets down. He's got to work on his motion a little bit more um, than what you've seen uh, out of him. But I think he has really progressed from last year as well. So, you know, another year in the system, another progression, maybe then maybe you don't have any issues with him next year if he has to take over then. Or Sears, maybe he takes a big jump in this offseason. A lot of times you see that from the freshman to sophomore year. So I think there are some tools from both of those guys. You know, would it be great to get a guy like Justin Fields in this year? Or even Matt Corral, if he would have been available, uh, uh, if USC kind of hadn't dropped him, one of those guys to have, compete with those guys next year if Sam does leave. Yes, it would be great to do that. However, you know, I think those guys have an opportunity to get better and could be, uh, you know, uh, quarterbacks that could, could lead a team next year. And maybe you rely a little bit more on the running game than you do with Sam this year. Uh, but I, I think they have some tools that, that, uh, could uh, increase in the next year, especially, or if they had to get thrown in this season as well. And I, I would say this, um, USC's in trouble if they lose Sam Darnold. It's, and even if they had a good <laughs> backup quarterback, it doesn't, like, he, you know, like if you want to talk about USC being back, I think it's getting there in a lot of spots. I think you have to look at the scholarship distribution. It's still so uh, weighted towards freshmen and sophomores. It's not spread out evenly as you would like it. Um, but Sam Darnold, like we said, like the great eraser, he's going to make up for a lot of stuff. You have a, a coaching staff that's basically their second year. Um, without Sam Darnold, it doesn't matter. Like you could have the exact same roster and like a really good quarterback and you still don't, I don't still think uh, the expectations would be this high. He does, you know, USC would be in trouble without him. But I agree with Shotgun. I think Matt Fink's got a lot better. He would be the guy for me right now, I think, would that would come in and, you would see the offense change. They would be running the football more. You're going to rely on the the offensive line. There's a lot of stuff, parts that you're not sure of. This young receiving core, the offensive line, if they're going to gel, whatever you know positions they end up in. You're going to rely on all that kind of stuff. Right now, you're like, yeah, the offensive line. Maybe they blow a couple assignments, but Sam Darnold will fix that. Or <laughs> yeah, the receivers. Like eh, I'm not sure about that, but Sam Darnold will find him and it'll be fine. So yes, you're not going to have that if you lose Sam Darnold. But I don't think you're going to be, you know. Uh, completely out in the woods. And I, I think by next year, uh, we'll see how much Jack Sears progresses. Uh, you know, Fink should be better. Uh, maybe they bring in a guy for 2018 too. Or we said, you know, who knows? He could reclassify. I don't think that's going to happen, but, uh, JT Daniels. Um, but yes, it's the, the premise here is Sam Darnold is that good. Sam Darnold could come back too. So you don't, you don't know about that, but yeah. he's that good. You're not like, it doesn't matter who the backup quarterback is. I would, you, you shouldn't really feel like, Oh, we'll be fine if, if Sam Darnold goes down. Sam Darnold is an absolute difference maker. He can do so many different things. Uh, you know, the throws that he made in that Rose Bowl game, amazing. The escapability that he's shown on multiple occasions, amazing. The creativity to fumble the ball against Colorado, turn around, find Tyler Petit, and, you know, get him in the end zone. You know, he does some amazing things, and you're not going to get that with any other quarterback in the nation. I don't think there. I mean, Lamar Jackson's about as close as it comes for excitement and ability to do different things like that. 
But like I said, I think Matt Fink, and he's got a really good rapport with like Tyler Vons, for example. He threw three touchdown passes to Tyler Vons in the last scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I think that, that he has really taken leaps and bounds from where he was last year when he first got here. And that's why he's kind of solidified himself as that backup right now. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to, I think we'll go to Ethan in LA. It says, hi, Ryan and USCfootball.com staff. I know we're just a week in the fall camp. So this was a couple weeks ago or a week or two ago. Uh, but what I've watched and read, Stephen Carr has blown everyone away with his performance thus far. He is physically mature, well beyond his years, and looks more like a three-year starter than a true freshman. This is obviously contingent upon Carr performing at this level when the season's be- when the season begins. But can you envision a scenario in which he could overtake Rojo and earn the majority of the carries? Thanks for your great coverage of the team. Fight on, Ethan in L.A. There's only one scenario that happens, and that's injury. Other than injury, no, not happening. Rojo is explosive. He's dynamic. He can do. You know, even more than he was able to do last year, he's catching the ball better. Um, granted, Carr is going to be a really good player, really good. Um, but I don't think he's going to be as good as Rojo this season. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. And Ronald Jones, you know, through his first two years, I mean, he's got historic numbers. I think, you know, no one, I think he has more yards than anybody like, you know, as a freshman and sophomore than like Charles White, you know, so he, uh, yeah, he's, He's real good. Don't forget about him. You're not going to see him a lot. They don't need this, you know, don't need to see him a lot in fall camp. You will during the season. It's really going to be about as good as Steven Carr plays. That'll just get him more carries, you know, and it, yeah. it, it likely take away carries from other people, maybe even some carries from Ronald Jones, but I don't see him being the number one guy without, uh, you know, some sort of injury, like, like shotgun said, but he's, he's really good. I mean, we've seen him. He's good. Yeah, the question becomes how many carries does he steal away from the other running backs? From your Aka Cedric Ware, from your, uh, Vi Malapai. You know, he's already sent, well, he's already moved one running back to the defensive back. Dominic Davis has moved across. Uh, so that's more of a question, uh, than the ones he's going to steal away from Rojo. And it seems like from what we've heard from, from Dylan is that like he would prefer having multiple backs be able to have carries rather than just, you know, giving the ball to somebody 30 times in the game. Uh, another South Bay guy, Ted in Manhattan Beach, has a few questions, so we'll go through them. He said, listening to your weekly and daily podcast and instant analysis are great. It feels like we are able to experience the practices firsthand. Well, that's, that's our goal, Ted. Thanks. We, uh, we're trying to do that since the public can't go and, uh, you know, it's our job. We're trying to get out there and share what we see, our analysis, you know, our thoughts, uh, behind the scenes stuff, whatever we can share. That's what we try to do. Um, his first question is with Toa Lobandon at left tackle, how effective do you see the offensive line being uh, running and pa- I think he means running and pass blocking? Yeah, we talked about this just a little bit ago. Is it difficult to know really about the offensive line until they actually get on the field and compete against another team? Uh, I will say that Toa Lobanon has looked really good at left tackle. He's been, especially in one-on-one drills, been dominant. You know, against some of the team's better pass rushers, had a really good day yesterday. I was I focused in on the offense, defensive line, one-on-ones, and he won every rep that he took. Uh, even against guys like Porter Gustin, Utena Nwosu, um, you know, he's looked really good there. I think he looks a lot better at tackle than and with Nico at center than they did the, with the other way around with Nico at tackle and him at center. Um, and I think Chuma should be in the lineup for sure. Everyone's talking about how much better he's playing this year. He's stronger. He's playing really well. But, like, you just don't really know with an offensive line until they get out there and they're playing together, you know, how well they mesh as a unit when they get face another team and, and have to kind of pick up on, you know, different blitzes and different stuff like that. But, but so far, you know, I've liked, I like the pieces for sure. Uh, we'll have to see how well those pieces work together. And then he has, uh, have you heard much about Kenny Bigelow in practice? Oh, he said, I have not heard much about Kenny Big- Bigelow in practice. I believe, uh, that they're trying to limit his reps at this time. What do you think the depth chart for the defensive tackle position looks like? We all are really hoping that Kenny Bigelow can get in there and make an impact. You, you just want to see a guy that's, you know, persevered through so much. He's been here for, for four years already. He's played 134 snaps, I think, total all in one season. He redshirted and then he's had two knee injuries since. You just want to see a guy like that as, you know, that's, that stayed with it and, and, you know, fought through those type of injuries. You want to see him get, get in and be able to make an impact at any school that, that in the country. You would like to see that. Um, the problem is Kenny Bigelow hasn't been very explosive. 
Now, maybe part of that is he's still gaining confidence in that knee and going. Um, right now, unfortunately, we're not seeing him a lot with the ones. You see him occasionally in there. But he has been making some more pra- plays in practice the last week or so. Uh, I've noticed him a couple times. He showed some emotion. You know, he's going to be an emotional leader for that group. Um, and, you know, a leader just being able to tell the other guys what to do and, and being a guy on the sideline, even if he's not, you know, getting a ton of reps, is going to be able to say, hey, this is what we're seeing over here. And, like, being able to relay stuff to those younger guys. He's going to be a good mentor for sure. But the defense tackle position, um, you, you know, it, it's kind of in flux right now. You know, a lot of people thought Marlon Tuipolotu was, was going to have a chance to win that job. And, you know, he's been with the one some, but he hasn't solidified himself as the guy up there. Uh, I think Malik Dorton has had a really good last week. Um, he showed out in the scrimmage. He showed out on Tuesday when they practiced in the Coliseum. Uh, you know, he just keeps showing up making plays. And yesterday we actually saw for the first time, you know, Malik Dorton is technically the starter at the defensive tackle position rather than the nose tackle position. Now the defensive tackle position is the one they take out when they go to their two, uh, the two four five look with the nickelback uh, that they used for uh, probably eighty percent of the time, if not more, last season. Um, so he's the one that was always on the Twitter uh, starting lineups that USC would post, and then never be in the starting lineup because they were always a nickel. But you see him play in that position, you play in that defensive tackle position when they go to three linemen right now. He's in there. But yesterday, for the first time, we saw him move over to the nose tackle position in certain scenarios and be beside Rasheem Green as the as the first team defensive tackle there or first team nose tackle. So I, I think he's really making a mark uh, this fall and, and you know could potentially be earning him some extra opportunities there. Brandon Peely has been a guy that stood out with his athleticism. I mean that guy is just kind of a freak on the defensive line. 340 pounds, he's just running around guys like it's nothing. Um, then you look and see that, that you got to have a couple other guys that, that could work their way into that rotation as well. But I, I think those three at the top and then Kenny Bigelow possibly behind them are the guys that you're looking at mainly, along with Josh Fatu, who could end up being the starter himself. I think it's between, you know, at the beginning of camp, it looked like him and, and Marlon Pulotu were the two competing for that uh, nose tackle position. Uh, but like I said, those other guys have kind of worked their way in too. So I think it's uh, three or four guys in front of Kenny Bigelow actually right now. And we just don't know how many, you know, defensive alignment with their hand on the ground, USC is going to play, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, Malik Dorton's listed the starter all the time and hardly ever plays, you know, so I'm not sure what, if we're going to see that same kind of thing this year. I think it'll depend on the schemes and, and how confident, uh, Clancy Pendergast, Pendergast is in, uh, with his defense alignment. I mean, I don't think he had a ton of confidence in guys besides Stevie Tuikolovatu and Rasheem Green last year, even, you know, Josh Fatu played a lot, but I don't think he wanted to play him a ton. Yeah, I think <laughs> I don't think he did. Um, I think you're right on that one. Let's see. Let's go. Um, oh, actually, he had one more. We had one more question from him. He said, is Connor Murphy a backup for Uchenna uh, in Wusu at the outside linebacker spot? Or are he and Wole both backing up Porter Gustin? Thanks for keeping the Trojan Nation informed and entertained. Best regards, Ted in Manhattan Beach. Now, both of those guys have said that they've kind of done some cross-training on both sides, but mostly it's Connor Murphy is backing up Port Augustine, and Wole is backing up Uchenna. So uh, Uchenna um, is at the same position. You've seen Wole more there, and then Port Augustine and Connor Murphy are more at that predator position. They do a lot of the drills are the same, uh, but when they get in, you know, uh, it seems like Wole is taking that spot behind Uchenna rather than uh, Connor Murphy. Yeah. Let's see. We have uh... – this is from Reg. Uh, my question today concerns how athletes rehab. I hear Daniel Mentor Bebe is rehabbing his hip injury. What I'm trying to understand is why is he continuing to work out if he's injured? Is this the best way for them to heal? I would think that they would be doing nothing uh, to allow their bodies to rest instead. Can you talk about how rehab works and why it's necessary for guys to be active during this process as opposed to sh- shutting them down completely? Well, if you've ever had an injury, um, then you would know that rehab, you do rehab in order to work the muscles so that you strengthen them because your muscles will break down or if you have a, you know, if you have a tear or, or, for example, if you have a knee ligament tear, they put you and they stabilize your knee so that you don't use it at all. You have the surgery and everything, so you don't use it. But then for the rehab, you have to re-strengthen the knee and you try to get the, the injury, whatever, whatever part of the body that is, you try to get that uh, part of the body stronger 
than it was before the injury so that you do not have a recurrence of the injury. So if the, you know, if your shoulder is stronger, then the thought is that you will not have, you know, it won't be weakened and it won't, you won't have a similar type of injury, hopefully. Um, so you rehab in order to strengthen and to rehabilitate it or obviously rehabilitate, but to, to, uh, to re, I want to say the, the word I'm looking for is not regrow the muscle, but, uh, you know, or the ligaments and stuff, but regenerate to, uh, or regenerate them. Yeah. You regenerate them a little bit. Uh, and you know, certain parts of the body do that certain parts of the body do not. Um, so some things you have to, you know, will heal themselves if you give them time. Other things you need to speed up the process by, you know, doing some exercises and stuff that will do that. As a, as a baseball pitcher, I, I can tell you about the shoulder and the elbow. Uh, if your elbow is sore, you know, it will swell up after you pitch. You throw a lot of off-speed pitches. But then you need to do exercises where you're moving your elbow and you're moving the, the joint so that it loosens that stuff up. Um, it's the same reason that pitchers will run after, uh, after they pitch is because you want to get the lactic acid out of your body. You have to break it up by running. Uh, so, uh, the body, it just depends on the injury in particular with Daniel Amorta Bebe's. I've never had a hip injury, so it's hard for me to say in particular on that, but, uh, you know, you just have to, you have to strengthen the, the part of the body that is, uh, is struggling. Yeah, I mean, you weren't, if the goal is to get back on the field as quickly as possible, you know, you don't want to rest and do nothing. You have to do, be doing something. So they're, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I remember I tore my, like, ligaments in my ankle playing volleyball and I don't think I did enough rehab. And then it got kind of stiff and it was, uh, you know, you have to break it up again and it kind of took longer to get back out there. So there's, I mean, there's scientific reasons behind what they're doing and, you know, not saying it, you know, that they, we've, they've changed over the years where you feel like you should do this, you should do that. They, you know, new procedures, new surgery. So they're always mm -hmm. developing, but it's really what the best options that, you know, that are kind of understood going on right now. Here's the best way to get better and get on the field faster and, and, you know, rehab your injury. So yeah, it's, I think it's fairly common and, you know, there's different philosophies, but for the most part, you know, people are kind of doing similar things. And USC, if you saw, they, they actually put out a tweet a couple of days ago, looked amazing. All the stuff that the new equipment and stuff they have in the athletic training, uh, facility in McKay, uh, you know, from the, the zero gravity treadmills to the underwater treadmills. And they just have a lot of cool instruments to help athletes get back quicker. Um, so, you know, they're, they're doing everything that they believe is, is the quickest way to get guys back and the quickest way to get them back healthy and to not sustain a potential injury again. We got a text uh, message question. It said, hey, it's D from the, now we put yay area. I assume he means Bay Area, but, you know, yay area is kind of cool. I like that. <laughs> um, huge USC fan and follow the team through you and other media. Would love to know how close is Levi Jones to cracking into the starting lineup. I see superstar written all over the kid. With Camp Smith lacking speed, I would think Jones would be the, uh, the pick to pair with Smith. He will be special. Does Coach Clancy see what I see? I, I would give a smiley face to the first half of the question and a to the second half of the question. Um, I think Levi Jones has superstar written on him as well. It's going to take him a minute to get in the lineup. You know, there's some guys in front of him, and he, you know he's got to learn all the defenses. You know, especially if he's to play the Mike linebacker position, which I'm not exactly certain which uh, position he's playing because, of course, we still can't talk to the freshmen yet. Uh, to find out. So he's playing in, in either the mic or the will, but if he's playing the mic position, he's got to learn all the calls and everything. That's always difficult for a freshman, but I do think that he is going to contribute immediately. I think he's going to be on special teams for sure. Um, and then I think eventually he will work his way into the rotation at linebacker this season. Cameron Smith's speed on the other hand is much better than it was last year. We saw him actually track Velas Jones on a crossing pattern, a deep crossing, I guess a post maybe. Uh, I didn't see the beginning of the play to know for sure, but you know, he tracked him and knocked the ball down 30 yards down the field. So, uh, you know, he's back and confident off his knee injuries. I think he's going to have a super year. Uh, Sports Illustrated yesterday named him, uh, I think first team preseason All American to which he's like, well, I don't care because they don't put you on the wall for preseason All Americans. Um, which I thought was really, a really good answer to that one. Um, but you know, I think Levi Jones as the size, as the speed, I think he's going to contribute and going to be a big time linebacker at USC before his time is done. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. 
Yeah, and you, I mean, you look at him, uh, you know, he's a big kid and stuff, but just body-wise, you'd look, it's like, okay, he's not developed yet as far as, like, been through the college weight program for a year. I think he'll look a lot different next year and have a lot more opportunity. But I don't know if you see the same thing, Shaka. It's just, you know, it's not it's not that. He looks like a true freshman right now, I think. Yeah, he's still got a little baby fat. You know, he'll tone everything up, and, I mean, you know, sometimes it even takes a couple years to look. Clay Helton yesterday even mentioned was the Cam Smith since we we're speaking about him. He's like, wow, he just he looks cut up from the neck down. Uh, so um, you know, sometimes it takes a couple years and guys get stronger each year. You see a guy like Chuma, who multiple people have told me, wow, this guy's just so much stronger this year. It's like, wow, that took him until his junior year, but you know, it's come around and, and you know now he's going to be a big time contributor this year. And Levi. I think he'll be a big time contributor even before his junior year, but you know it's going to take him a little bit of time just to get the, all the defense calls down, all the defense playbook, uh, just like any of, any of the freshmen. Um, you don't see a lot of middle linebackers starting as true freshmen, and that just tells you how good Cam Smith is at, as uh, as what he was able to do. Um, but I, I think Levi Jones, not not necessarily now, but eventually. We got one from Lamar. Uh, he said, "This will be our last one." He said, "Good day, Ryan." He has a two-parter. First, I'd like to know, what would it take for USC to stiffen up the edges of its run defense? Uh, post 300 yards rushing given up in the Rose Bowl, I'm sure David Shaw will try to exploit that September 9th. Uh, you, you know, the edge is it's going to step to Uchen and Nwosu and Porter Gusson to, to hold the edge and do their job. And, you know, they were really good at that last year until the Rose Bowl. They were really bad at it. Um, and part of that was the fact that people were slipping and sliding on the turf. And part of that was Saquon Barkley was a beast. It was an absolute beast in that game. Um, but I think you have to give those guys a lot of credit. They were really good last year. I think they're going to be even better this year. I don't think it's a big, uh, concern. I, you know, it's not something that Stanford was able to do last year really well. I mean, McCaffrey didn't get to the edge and run around. You know, what, what McCaffrey did so well, uh, we just discussed this the other day at practice actually, uh, amongst the media is that McCaffrey hides behind his line. And just waits and waits. He's just so patient. And then he just kind of explodes through when he finds a hole. And if there's not a hole, he, he, you know, just falls forward and gets three yards. He just always seems to get three yards. I don't think you're going to see that USC is going to be, uh, you know, getting gashed around the edges on jet sweeps or anything like that. I don't think that's a, a big concern. I think those two guys on the edge, Uchina Nawosu and Porter Gustin, both do a really good job of setting the edge and they're going to be even better this year. And the second part was, is it said my other concern is about USC having a great allegiance to the Pac-12 conference. Uh, financially, it does not make, uh, I think it makes sense. Uh, the football program should be playing primetime games and it does not appear that the conference gives enough respect to the teams that has the most national championships in the conference. Lamar from the high desert and he says, go independent. I'm going to leave the independent talk to Dan. I mean, he nails all that stuff so well. Uh, you, you know, it, it's something that USC should at least threaten. Uh, and maybe yes. they are. Maybe they are behind the scenes. But, you no. know, they got to threaten that and, and get some more <laughs> respect, it seems like. It's like, why are you making us go to Pullman on a Friday night? And maybe the Pac-12 goes and comes back and says, well, because we have to schedule everything around you because you have a Notre Dame game set up every single year. Maybe that's what they say. I don't know. So it's a give and take with with anything that you have conferences and teams like that. But you know that's that's the that's the Dan Weber specialty there. If it's anything Coliseum related, Coliseum renovation or Pac-12 conferences is a piece of crap. Then I, I think Dan Weber would nail that. Yeah, but I, I mean I think you're <laughs> right though. They have to at least threaten it, and I don't think anything like that's going on behind the scenes. And USC is this powerhouse that doesn't act like it in a lot of cases, and I think that's why USC fans get frustrated sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm not a big fan. We've talked about like the, you know, the TV rights and the, the discrepancy when Rutgers is going to be making like, you know, more than a hundred million dollars over like a five year period than USC, like Rutgers. Like, how is that even possible? But it is probably so. because they're in a town called Piscataway. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I just love saying that. I don't know why. That's a good town. Yeah. Um, but it has nothing to do with that. It's, you know, this, the big 10 has way better deals and <laughs> it's, uh, it's Rutgers, man. Rutgers. Are you sure it's not because they're from Piscataway? It could be. I get to say that again. Nice. Um, all right. Hey, shotgun. Good stuff. I know you got, uh, you got a bunch of women in your house you need to go take care of. Not in that way, but just, you know, there's stuff you <laughs> got to do. That really weird. That did sound weird. So I apologize <laughs> for that. But, uh, I do have company coming to visit. My girlfriend's family is coming to visit this weekend. So, so you got to be I on your best behavior. The apartment. 
You got to be your best behavior, I guess. I, I don't ever know how to do that. So <laughs> I just try to be me. I can't be anybody else. He'll be wearing his tie, his hat on backwards at some obscure <laughs> baseball thing and uh, staying up till five in the morning writing. That's that's how Shotgun does his thing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Shotgun Spratling, follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. Uh, thanks again, Shotgun, for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Shotgun. I'm Ryan Abraham. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed this special edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.